Hello and welcome to Obsessed with Joseph Scrimshaw on Feral Audio. I am your host, the very recently mentioned Joseph Scrimshaw. Today's episode features host and entertainment journalist Clark Wolf and her love of the television show Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful is, by all accounts, a great TV show that I personally have not watched. I have not had as much time for watching TV lately, but I did make time for True Detective Season 2, partially because it was event TV that everyone was talking about, but partially because it was like a frozen pizza. I knew it wasn't good, but I just wanted more. Each episode was like a slice that made me feel more bloated, weird, mildly ashamed, and like I needed to do an hour of intense cardio to make up for it, but still, like a frozen pizza, I wanted more. And I've been enjoying a lot of not great to downright actually bad entertainment things lately, and I find myself wondering why. I think it might have something to do with just sort of relating to train wreck television shows, because... Sure, everyone in life would like to be uh, the wire-level quality of a human being, but honestly, a lot of us are closer to True Detective Season 2. We are well-intentioned messes. At least that's the way I feel. But I will continue to strive to be the best True Detective Season 2 I can be. That is my promise to you, obsessed listeners. I will try to be more Rachel McAdams practicing knife-fighting and less Vince Vaughn talking about his fertility issues. But enough about me. Let's talk more about me in a different context. Here's where I'm going to be doing shows soon. On Labor Day weekend, I'm off to the great convention Dragon Con in Atlanta to do some comedy shows, panels, and a live recording of the Obsessed podcast all about voice acting. Then, right after Dragon Con, I'm going on tour. The Double Clicks, Molly Lewis, and myself are bringing our variety show, Hashtag Nerd Night Out, to the East Coast. It is a show worth leaving your house for, so please do leave your house at the exact right time and places to see us perform. You can get details on all these shows on my website at josephscrimshaw.com slash live dash shows. I've also started co-hosting a YouTube show and podcast all about Star Wars called Jedi Alliance. You can find that show on popcorntalknetwork.com. Our theme song is by the awesome Molly Lewis. Thanks as always to Molly for our theme song. And now, with no further ado, sit back, turn down the lights, and get ready to be creeped out slash amused slash entertained by Clark Wolf's obsession with Penny Dreadful. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with an awesome person, Clark Wolf. Hello, sir. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and doing this here podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, so do you want to get right into your obsession or do you want to talk a little bit <laughs> you, about who you are, what you do? This is your show. You tell me. <laughs> You're steering. Why don't you tell the people uh, listening a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay. Uh, well, I am a uh, host and a writer and I um, do a lot of work for Nerdist. Um, and I am a huge, uh, media, movie, entertainment, pop culture fiend. I like all of that (laughs) stuff very much. Um, I like the word fiend. Yes. That's a very good word. Indeed. And, uh, and yeah, and, um, uh, that's kind of what I do. Cool. So 
Now, I know that you work for Nerdist, the uh, company. Yes. So, but how many times when you say, I do stuff for Nerdist, do people think you literally mean, I'm like <laughs> Chris Hardwick's personal assistant. I'm Chris Hardwick. I fluff his pillows and whatnot. <laughs> for the Nerdist, I suppose that would be. Um, I, you know, it's funny because uh, a lot of times people, like I got a package one time that was addressed to Chris Hardwick at my house. <laughs> and, and, and I was like. It wasn't it was, like a horse's head or anything no, scary, no, no, no. was it? It was a cupcake. Or no, it was a Cinnabon. It was a Cinnabon. <laughs> <laughs> and it was from AMC to promote Better Call Saul. Okay. And I remember thinking, like, does AMC not know where Chris Hardwick lives? Like, I feel like, or, or how to get a hold of him, like, I feel like of all networks. Was this to an office or your personal my home? My house. This was to my personal home. Wow. Yeah, it was really weird. And it wasn't like Clark Wolf care of. It was like... It really and truly was to address to Chris Hardwick at my house. I was like, he doesn't live here. Did you try to get it to him? No, of course not. That's, <laughs> so you just ate Chris that, Hardwick's cupcake. I did, did. I was like, you know what? This is mine now. This is mine now. That's how we roll. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, so yeah, you do all the media stuff right now. What are you? Where can people actually see you on screen? Which things are you hosting right now? Yeah, right now, uh, right now I'm creating a, a lot of YouTube content just in terms of like um, a lot of reviews or some. Sometimes I'll talk about stuff uh, if it's interesting to me, um, and I'm making appearances on things. But like, so for Nerdist, I will um, I'll do carpets for them. I did a lot okay. of their like stage interviews at the Carnival at uh, San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, that looks awesome. Yeah, it was super fun, and uh, so I pop up all over, kind of in little places. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so who? I, I want to think I saw you interviewing lots of cool people at Comic Con. I got so lucky at Comic Con. <laughs> I got to interview two people who I've really always liked and admired and wanted to talk to. Um, and that I'm sure by the listeners by the end of the day will we'll understand why. But um, it was I got to meet Eli Roth and uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Awesome. And I got to, um, and Eli I had never met before, even though we have a lot of friends in common. And um, he was, it was such a cool experience for me because I'm a huge, I'm a really big fan of his. I just think he's, interesting and um he i did a preview video for um comic-con like saying who i would be talking to and awesome. all that thing and he retweeted it and uh in the green room he came up and introduced himself to me like completely unprompted and said i watched your video it was so great and wow. like, it was just he is a he's a mensch he's a really really cool dude and it, we had a great interview um and i got to ask him all sorts of nerdy horror questions <laughs> which made me so happy and um and then later in that same day uh, was M. Night Shyamalan and that was crazy because you know I remember being I remember being in middle school I'm telling everyone how old I am but uh being <laughs> but you're not that old so no, it's okay I'm not I'm not <laughs> admittedly but um I remember being in middle school and seeing The Sixth Sense and mm -hmm. seeing it on opening night and uh, the next day, like, dragging a friend, or the next weekend, bringing friends, yeah. like, you know, saying, we have to go see this movie, and, uh, you know, because I was a nerd even then, and, um, and yeah, and I followed his career kind of ever since, and it's interesting because, like, I don't like a lot of the things he's done over the last five years. Right. Um, I don't enjoy those movies as much, but... I still think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there, and I am very excited for his new movie, The Visit, okay. uh, which looks really spooky. So it was really cool for me to get to sort of talk to him about just a lot of different things. Yeah. So well, that's good, because I feel like a lot of people have a lot of M. Night Shyamalan uh, anger in he, that. Just, yeah, just as a comedian, I... 
you know, strive to be polite, but I would just be going through my mind like, don't make any of the jokes. Don't make any I of know. the jokes. The I know. Regular it, M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> jokes that one would make. Everybody kept asking me, you know, uh, they, I said, yeah, I got to interview M. Night Shyamalan. They were like, what was the twist? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's, um, and actually my, my best friend Sarah and I have this, have this years long joke that if we ever, <laughs> if we ever saw M. Night Shyamalan or Mark Wahlberg, we would ask for our $10 back <laughs> for that happening. And M. Night for more than just that. But I do. Yeah, have he's to, in for at least like forty bucks yeah, at this he, point. Yeah, he's he's got he's had a couple of misses. But I do sincerely believe that the Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, um, Signs, and I'll even go as far as the Village. I like the Village. <laughs> You'll go all the way I to the will Village. I go all the way to the Village, and I will defend that movie absolutely um, for days. But uh, so I think that there's just enough good there that you know. Plus, I mean, you know, once you work in the entertainment industry. You sort of learn how things get made and like what goes into it, yes. and so who knows? But I'm right. Super People might be coming to him and say, "Make me one of your movies with the twist," or or here's a zillion dollars, and you know we want a big studio thing that's going to do well internationally. Yeah. We don't care about the dialogue. We don't care about this. You know, I mean, I hate to say it, but that is how big blockbuster movies happen. Absolutely. And um, so one of the reasons why I was extra excited to talk to him was because this new movie he has the visit. Well, also, he had just, uh, the premiere of Wayward Pines had just happened. Right. And he had directed that, which was really cool, because that's actually the first time he'd ever directed a script that wasn't his. Oh, cool. Which I thought was really neat. And um, I asked him about that, and I asked him if he ever thought he'd do that again, kind of like, maybe you should. <laughs> um, but uh, And he's like, well, maybe I would. But, um, but we talked about uh, The Visit, which is the new movie coming out in September, and I promise I don't work for them. I'm not, like, shilling for them. <laughs> but, um, but I just love that trailer so much and you know it's shot on handheld cameras I'm under the impression that he kind of went away on his own took a couple like two million dollars and made this movie and for somebody who has made these you know last airbender we can laugh at it all we want but it made a zillion dollars and same with after earth after Earth crashed here yeah but internationally after earth did really well okay so it's like for him to go from those two huge tentpole things to making this really small, creepy, you know, kind of return to bare bones type of movie, yeah. I think is really cool and yeah. interesting. Um, and maybe even says a lot. Maybe even says that there's maybe a slice <laughs> of humble pie in there somewhere. Oh, that would be nice. Who knows? Who knows? I haven't seen it yet. I'm seeing it Monday. But, um, but yeah, so that was really cool. And then... Everyone else from Rob Lowe to the Workaholics guys to Dennis Leary yeah. to, you know, Comic-Con was just well, cool. awesome. Well, cool. I learn a lot about you by you led with M. Night Shyamalan. Like, Rob Lowe, whatever. <laughs> I know. But this other guy that many people just despise. Can't stand. I know. Well, you know, listen, everybody loves yeah. Rob Lowe. No, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So your obsession is in, in media. I email everybody. I emailed you. And you answered pretty quickly. And fairly definitively, that you wanted to talk about the television show Penny Dreadful. Yes. Okay, so could you start by explaining to people who have never seen Penny Dreadful what it is? Absolutely. It is a show on Showtime. Um, So just so you know, it's like a, it's a, you know, cable show. So that's the type of material we're working with. This is not for everybody in terms of like uh, risque and content. Okay. Um, There are naughty words and body parts and whatnot. Yes, all those and more. (laughs) Um, And uh, it is a genre show. It is absolutely a horror drama. And it is um, Penny Dreadful, you know, the term, it's kind of like the schlock sort of um, old 
old penny operas or, or um, right. theater it's pieces. The, the British version of pulp. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. And so um, it is a show that combines a lot of very iconic characters from, um, you know, werewolves to uh, Dr. Frankenstein to um, uh, Dracula and uh, Mina Harker and nice. all these classic literary characters uh, together in one, in one, they all know each other and they all are working together. <laughs> they go to parties and have affairs and whatnot, <laughs> they right? They do. Dorian Gray is there. Um, but so it is, it, it's true. <laughs> Everyone is there. Everyone's there. And, um, but it's, it's really, so that's what it is. That's what the show is. It's, it's not League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but it's right. So, a but it's a, So how does it, so League of Extraordinary Gentlemen sort of took the, the movie version certainly took a little bit more of the action adventure right. approach of kind of if they teamed up almost like they were a group of superheroes, yes. which I realized was a bastardization of the comic book. But how is this, given that the concept is kind of the same, mm -hmm. uses some of the same characters, uh, how is it different in the way it serializes it? Is what what's at stake? I guess is what I'm asking. What's the central conflict of sure. the show? So these are all um, these are all. So the the central character is a woman who is called Vanessa Ives, and she is played by Eva Green. Um, and so she, as far as I know, is not. She's a, a creation of the show, mm -hmm. and she's um, uh, the sh her best friend is Mina Harker. Okay. And so her father is, uh, meaning Mina Harker's father, is um, Timothy Dalton's character. Nice. So we start out with... Amazing cast. Yeah, it's such a great cast. Two James Bond people already. <laughs> Can you believe it? So we start out with... Um, we start out with those two, and basically, uh, you know, they, in the pilot episode, uh, Mina has been taken by by Dracula, essentially, by a vampire, and so um, they, she's looking for her best friend, meaning um, uh, Vanessa, and her father is obviously looking for his daughter, yeah. and uh, so they need to enlist the services of, you know, a sharpshooter, somebody who can shoot, okay, wow. who can go and help them find Mina, because they know that there is a darkness, or there is an evil in the world. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, for anybody who's ever played like the role-playing game Call of Cthulhu, this sounds like the opening adventure of Call of Cthulhu of like, how do you get the librarian? Right. And the yeah, the yeah. guy with the gun. Yes. To all go on and the plumber if you need them. To all go on the adventure. Cool. It, yes, yes, very much. So and then throughout their travels, uh, they you get to know these characters. And so what is at stake is these characters' lives, essentially. Yeah. Um, it's not the fate of the world until much further down. Right. And it rotates around kind of dealing with their different issues. Their werewolves issues and their <laughs> all, Frankenstein issues all kinds their of mommy issues. daddy issues all of their issues cool that's right is it is it really winky like uh, like I got really annoyed by the Batman show Gotham mm. because I felt like half of it was just people looking at me and winking of like that person's gonna be uh, the penguin yeah he's like I'll uh, take some fish please yeah, yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> I might ask you to do your penguin impression again that was very charming I totally made that up I'm sorry uh, but uh, no it's not so it's not um, you know, so there are no scenes where like Dr. Frankenstein it's like well, look, a leg. Maybe I should attach that to something someday. No, no. When we first meet Dr. Frankenstein, he has successfully created uh, Proteus. Okay, so they're in, they're already in the middle of their sort of famous works. That's right. Nice. That's right. So, however, that is not to say that as the show goes on, there are not reveals of, you know, because you know, so what's, what's really cool about the show, so I guess it's less of a wink and more of a... You know, uh, like a what's up, like we. <laughs> to put it in hitting on terms. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's like the head nod, what's up, because the audience. Maybe a may I buy you a drink? <laughs> That's very polite. <laughs> um, you know, but basically with. Um, 
with Penny, you know, you're in this world, you, you as an audience member who are aware that, okay, we've got Dorian Gray, we've got the Frankenstein, we've got uh, Dracula, you know, so you kind of are looking around going, all right, what's next? Who's next? What what's... else could pop up? How could they interact? It, and, yes. Yeah. Cool. Yes. So it's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, uh, in your email, you told me that you liked it even though it has problems, which I certainly relate to, and we've already been introduced to that conversation <laughs> by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. So do you find yourself like making excuses or justifications for the problems with the show, or do you just kind of feel like... Uh, whatever you th the problems are part of the DNA and part of the charm well you know for me I feel like Penny Dreadful is maybe less problematic and more just you have to go with it you okay. know what I mean like I so if you but then again I really do feel like it's a very compelling drama first um, yeah know, so what, what do you think the, when you said you know it has problems what were you acknowledging I think what I mean is that I know it's not perfect so like um, you know there's a I, um, Showtime. Showtime, the network, I feel like that's a network where they say, put a lot of sex in this. Just yes. do that. You know, yes. like, this is, and um, not to say that I think Penny Dreadful is over-sexualized, because I actually really don't. Okay. Um, but there are some times where it feels like, oh, this is a Showtime moment. So it's just like, we need some breasts. Kind of, kind of. Yeah, because I remember that watching Dexter. I think like yes. season three, there was like, I well, I after a while I noticed that there was a woman per season who was not in the principal cast who would be the breasts woman for Dexter, <laughs> which was just like horrible. And I think in season three, there was just one moment of breasts that they kept using in the previously on. Yes. As if to say, don't worry, previously there were breasts. <laughs> there, will there will be, be breasts again. Exactly. Don't worry. So is it as, is it as sort of ham-fisted and gross as that? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, plus, you know, what's cool about Penny is that um, John Logan, who created the show, so he's like a, I, I, be he's, I believe he's an Academy Award award-nominated screenwriter. He's oh, wow. also a playwright, um, a very well-known playwright. John Logan writes every episode of Penny Dreadful. Oh, cool. So, so um, in, the and in the first season, they only had eight. Um, so it's a very, very, very tight season, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, I think when I say, like, it's not, it's not a perfect show in that it's just what show is perfect. Right. I mean, and also, I feel like um, there are some shows that really want to have a... Like, Eva Green... Eva Green's character is, um, she's, she's wonderful, but she also is in a lot of different situations where she's just exploring her sexuality and okay. she's doing these types of things and it makes perfect sense for the character, but one could look at it and go, what? Well, you know, like, is there a conversation going on with that? Are there crit critics of the show, uh, who feel like they're that her character is being treated poorly, no, or no? Okay. I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think, you, in fact, I think the um, the consensus is that Eva Green's the, one of the. I mean, obviously, people love Eva Green. Yeah, she's an amazing and, actor. Yeah, but this show is just. I mean, it is her show. But I do feel like actually in season one, my favorite character was not her, and in season two, my favorite performance was not hers either. Okay, but that's just to say there's so much good acting. <laughs> I I think anyway. Is there too much? Good acting? It's too much. 
much. Are like the werewolves literally chewing scenery? Or? That's the problem with the show. There's too much good. There's it's <laughs> that is too a big good. problem. It's too good. It well, no, I, you know what? I I just I'm sorry. I realized that was like a ten minute no, kind of great. dance around like, well, it's this, it's that. You know, people think that like um, the Frankenstein monster, the creature, he mm-hmm. he can get a little emo. He can get a little, you know, like he's very he's very poetic, you know. And I read poetry, and I'm so sensitive. Does he he stare out of windows while like kind, sad kind music plays? He, he gets, but he gets angry sometimes, and he well, he that I expect to yeah, be obviously. pissed if that didn't happen, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, so there's that component to it, and then of course Dorian Gray is like. Uh, kind of a hipster in yeah. a way and he's like you know this he's a silly character at first um so i think that you could easily like look at these kind of tropes and be like okay like let's, let's get to the vampires or let's, right. let's get to dracula let's get to eva green you know what i mean right but i i love the characters i'm not putting them down but i could see how somebody else yeah and i think it's cool when you're doing something like this when you're dealing with characters who arguably invented or contributed to the invention of some of these tropes or ideas like i mean uh, Frankenstein certainly in the original novel is right. not a big grunting monster, but a sad mopey dude. And that's very, very much how this. Very, uh, very emo. Yeah. 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 And Dorian Gray is certainly a man about town. Oh yes. Who that was the whole point of I don't want to stop partying. Right, and he he gets that across. Reeve Carney's oh, very that's really good cool. There, yeah, that's really cool. So uh, have you always enjoyed horror? And were you like a fan of these stories? Or at least some of them, maybe all of them, before you saw the show. Well, I um, I've been so I've I've always liked dark stuff, you know, ever since mm-hmm. I was little. Um, but even though horror, specifically when I was little, little scared me. Like it really freaked me out too much. And but I I sort of tended towards do- dark fantasies or okay. or dark comedies. So like the Beetlejuice or Labyrinth or those types of things. Willow, uh, you know, things that are definitely on not you know like print, uh, daisies and sunshine, yeah. but not necessarily like some kids I meet can just like uh, horror fans that I meet. They're like, oh yeah, I watched Night of the Living Dead when I was five and I was like cool I was not that person <laughs> did you try to watch something like yeah. that yeah oh yeah what did you try to watch oh god when I was well when I was five um my babysitter showed us the Stephen King's It miniseries oh yeah and I was scared to take a shower obviously because the clown comes you know like, we all float on this I, podcast Clark <laughs> sorry it's horrible how dare you um <laughs> and so uh so there was that um and there was um I did see Night of the Living Dead my the remake actually uh which was which I think is actually very good but when I was young my cousin was watching it my little brother who was like probably five wandered upstairs and he was watching it and they were fine and I was like I can I'm I'm in I can I can do this and I could not yeah. do it nope yeah. and then when I was 12 the exorcist just I couldn't sleep for a year after that understandably yeah well in a lot of the ones that you're talking about they actually have children as sort of the victims of the horror so it's understandable <laughs> so that's why I was so scared exactly why are you so scared there's a clown that haunts kids that's yeah. all not scary but uh, but yeah so as I got older though the horror became less ter- you know less yeah. Yeah. more palatable. So when did you try to come back to it? Like, how old were you, and what did you experiment with in terms of trying horror? Well, I always dabbled in it, um, especially because one of my best friends growing up, she wasn't scared at all, and so I would kind of, like, watch it through my fingers, like, okay. with her. But it was it was probably high school. When I, when I hit high school, I was able to go, okay, I can watch these things and not lose sleep over them, yeah. and, and kind of as I grow up. But I still, I'm still freaked out by, like, ghosts. The idea of that kind of thing okay. is still scary to me. Um... 
but with Penny and with these monsters and with these creatures, um, you know, it's not that I was compelled by like the Frankenstein or the um, or the or the vampires or whatever, and that's why I started watching it or the, the thing that even hooked me, it's the idea of, and what I came to find as I studied horror more, the idea that these monsters all represent things. Right. They're all allegories for things. Whether you go far back or whether you look now, you can often find political or personal um, allegories for these monsters. Right. For these and monsters. a lot of this gothic things certainly like sexual yes. ideas that were not, you couldn't discuss. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, anti religious ideas or at least challenging religious ideas a lot so are there characters going through specific arcs that you're like oh wow i really relate to what frankenstein's going through and i can relate that back to my life you know well eva green's character for sure for sure she's a very complex it's basically you know the whole thing of eva green's character is that there's darkness in her Mm -hmm. and she doesn't want it there but is Uh. that the thing that makes her special you know, she's in the in the show. She's a devout Catholic. Okay. Yet the devil touched her very young, very early, and so she's always had this, uh, been compelled or or easily was taken. Like she gets possessed in the second episode of of the whole show. Okay, so There's, she's just like an easy mark for demons, basically. And so <laughs> she's fighting for her soul at all turns because if she gave in and gave up on her God, if she gave in to the devil. By the way, I'm Jewish. For any listeners, so it's okay. not like I'm compelled by this. But you work in Hollywood, and I've had many other people on the podcast describe their life in Hollywood the way you're describing this Christians wrestling with demons. Catholic woman in the Victorian era, but also you know she's um she's a progressive character. She she has um she is sexually confident. Um she is you know she loves she she's smart. She's outspoken. She's beautiful. She so so in a lot of ways those things were not acceptable, and and so symptoms of evil essentially and so it's a struggle her character really struggles with essentially at the end of the day who she is okay and so I like that a lot yeah absolutely you know yeah I think that's incredibly relatable that's super cool uh (laughs) so if you could sit down and have a beer with any character from Penny Dreadful who would you want to have a beer with? Oh my god, I know the answer to this actually, <laughs> and I I don't know his name because it's a little it's a French name, but he there's this character on the show who um, has really funny hair and um, and he is essentially this um, historian. Okay, and he's this fabulous, flouncing, like silly, <laughs> but very smart and very uh, studied um, character. And okay. he's very funny and charming, but he's very serious as well. And he, yes, him, for sure. And I, I could look up his name, but yeah, you, yeah, if you matter. watch the show or if you even like Google the show, you'll be able to tell I am happy is. with the answer of I would like to have a beer with the fancy, flouncy, smart <laughs> Frenchman. Who would not? Who wouldn't? <laughs> so if you were going to build a Frankenstein monster yourself, Mm. What kind of person would you try to make? Oh, boy. Wow. Well, I mean, this might sound cheesy, but I feel like the Frankenstein monster uh, on Penny Dreadful is a very sensitive person, and he's he's smart, and he's um, he reads, and he's and he he's just if he was a little less like mopey, okay. I, feel, I feel like he. So would, they just they made like Morrissey. Is that uh, how it works on the show? Except that he's like you know he's so he's played by. Um, 
uh, Rory Kinnear, mm-hmm. and um, who who is a handsome gentleman, yeah. you know, in in real life. But you know, they give him like a weird hairline and these weird, uh, you know, colored contacts and things like that. But he's still, to me, this is my thing with all of these um, movies or, or television shows or representations where they create the monster and the monster is always like, "I'm the hideous." No one look at me. It's like Gerard Butler when he was the Phantom <laughs> of the Opera, yeah. and like his mask was like an eye patch, and he's like, "Oh." I'm horrifying. And I was like, no, you're hot. Like, we'd all have sex with the Phantom. So let's, like, you're Gerard Butler. Like, right. you know. Um, and Rory Kinnear is, you know, he's he's not as um, traditionally handsome as, as Gerard Butler. But still, I'm kind of like, you know, they react to him as though he is this hideous thing. Yeah. And I still don't quite see that part. Is the idea of, of his... Of the Frankenstein monster in Penny Dreadful, that he is almost well made, but there's something a little off about him because it's just sort of unnatural to make a human. Is that the angle? In the world of Penny Dreadful, with every being that Victor creates, he gets better at it. Okay, and this is like rough draft. Uh, uh yes. <laughs> yes. I just, I'm trying to be, like, careful. That. Great, but then again, like, if you watch the pilot, this, yeah. you're pretty up to speed. Yeah, you can spoil through the pilot. Okay, uh, that's otherwise. fair. Well, you know, he, yes, Rory Kinnear's creature is the the OG. He's the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Does he rap? <laughs> yeah, a little. He, okay. Well, he writes poetry. Yeah, so, uh, yes. It's like the Victorian. Gothic rapping. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Emo goth rap. Um, but yeah, so so yes is the answer. He is he's kind of like the prototype. Okay. Um, or he's the first one. The rough draft is the better way. Okay. To so that's always fascinated me. With uh, I'm always fascinated by that part of the Frankenstein story. If there's intention to just make any old person. Yes. Or I think probably because we have so many stories about cloning and genetic manipulation, the idea in a modern sense of like, okay, well if I'm going to make someone, I probably have some ideas of. Who that should be. Yes. And why are you making them? Yeah. And now, what kind, do I want like an artist buddy who's like me? Uh-huh. Do I want like a super strong person to protect me? What do I want? You know, when Victor Frankenstein in the pilot episode, I, I would argue <clears throat> that when Victor in the pilot episode is creating these creatures or these, these reanimating these people, he, is he looking for a lover? In Victorian yeah. England, is he look is he looking for a friend? Yeah, is it because because he's an, just antisocial or he has poor social skills? This is all really and truly up for grabs in the beginning. Okay, and then and then there's some answers, and then there are there yes, and especially in um, season two, Victor Frankenstein, uh, his motives are explored a little <laughs> bit more. Awesome. So, if you were able to make a person now, what kind of a person would you want in the world? An assistant? <laughs> no, that's such an LA answer. And I, I'm just being funny. Like really efficient person to get my Ubers for yeah, me. Exactly, somebody who could like go to Target for me and get all the stuff I need. I don't think that's a uniquely LA answer. Uh, I think um, it's the kind of answer you will actually hear people say out loud a lot in LA. Sure. But I think that's totally reasonable. Somebody to just take care of the minor bullshit. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because I don't know. I don't think that I am personally the type of person who would want to create someone and have them be exactly what I want them to be. Right. I'm just not that. I don't have those mechanics in me. I, I'm not good at that kind of thing. So, like, I'm thinking about, like, if I could create the perfect roommate. Well, I don't really want a roommate. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and like, if I could create the perfect man, you know, well, I don't really want to create the perfect man. Yeah, you know? it's weird to create your partner. Right? Because it's just going to be this shattered image 
of what you think you want, exactly. and you're probably going to be wrong. And I think we just got to the bottom of the Frankenstein <laughs> mythos, right? Um, but yeah, so like, so I just I don't even know what the answer to that would be. Maybe maybe I wouldn't even build a person. Like maybe I would build a dog. <laughs> you know, like I feel like that. But you give be... the dog like hands, so it could order an Uber, right? So it could call, yeah. So it could answer emails for me and, <laughs> and call Uber and all those things. Oh, cool, cool. Would you want to have the kind of immortality that Dorian Gray has? No. No. <laughs> that is a fast answer. Well, and also, do you want immortality in general, or you, no, that's I mean, not attractive to you? Immortality? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, and also, I think again, these are these are fundamental questions. I think that go along with with these these myths and these stories in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you watch this Dorian Gray character, and of course, the whole point is, of course, at first, it's so glamorous and magical, and he has well, he's obviously rich and knows everything and knows everyone and can have anything and anyone that he wants but obviously what's the moral of the story yeah and um and so no i don't know i wouldn't want immortality <laughs> no thank you i'd rather just be like healthier <laughs> just have a dose of <laughs> so you would like a painting where unhealthy clark is just like in the painting is just eating chipotle exactly. like mad and yes Yes. And, yeah, and then you get to be nice and healthy and vibrant. You know what? I just thought of the Frankenstein creature I would create. Okay. A trainer. There you go. Uh, or like a positive influence <laughs> who can help me cook and who will be like, yeah, let's go do something. Don't watch more BoJack Horseman. <laughs> like, BoJack Horseman is a great show, though. It's a great show. Uh, do you think this show would work in a modern setting or do you think it is tied to that? exact time period. I do. Well, I don't think it would work in a modern setting. I can tell you that. Um, You know, like I'm watching, uh, do you watch the show The Nick? Mm-mm. Okay, so the Nick, it, you know, takes place at the turn of the uh, century, so in 1900 okay. or 1901. They are just, um, it's these doctors, and they are just learning how to, um, you know, uh, um, you know, um, tra- deal with blood, like take blood okay. out, or, or, you know, it's these, these, um, inventions that are incredibly modern at the time, dealing with x-rays for the first time, like those okay. types of things. And and that, to me, is still really fun territory to mess around with. But in terms of a 2015 Dorian Gray or a 2015 Frankenstein, and by the way, Hollywood, I hope you're listening. <laughs> but um, no, that's not compelling to me. Now, granted, could it possibly be done modern and blow my mind? Yeah, totally. I I just saw something recently, um, a movie called Unfriended, mm-hmm. um, that uh, you know they pitched as all takes place on a computer screen the entire time, literally the whole movie. Yeah, and it's a slasher movie, and you just go, how could this be compelling? How could this be interesting? Like I don't believe it. Yeah, and yet I thought the movie was great. I thought it worked, and um, so the point is. I would have never thought that a cyber terror, or the movie was called Cybernatural originally. Okay. Bad title, I know. <laughs> yeah. but, but you know that is ultimately the through line: is there is a supernatural presence that has bound these seven kids to their FaceTime, and you just go ew. But the movie I thought worked. So the point is, could Frankenstein be compelling now? Could Dorian Gray be compelling now? Probably. Do I want to see it right off the bat? And no, thank you. Yeah, I think it, I think it is hard to get away from the technology. So like, if you have a Dorian Gray, you know, you people have made plenty of like the selfie of Dorian Gray jokes. But that is how it would work now, just in reality. So I think it shifts the focus from the intrinsic cool thing of the character to a meditation on current technology, whereas if Dorian Gray exists in Dorian Gray time, you can still focus on 
what made him do that yes. in his appropriate time period. And also, I feel like, you know, all of these main characters, whether it's Vampire slash Dracula, whether it's um, Dorian Gray, whether it's Victor Frankenstein, I could see them in a world maybe working in modern times. Now, again, I agree with you. I don't necessarily want to see that. Yeah. But I, I could maybe But work. it's possible. It, yeah. it is possible. The werewolf myth yeah. is preposterous to me. <laughs> and like the Just idea- in general? No, no, well, yes, but I get the metaphor at least, you know, in terms of history and historically. Modern werewolves, I can't with that. Like, that just sounds ridiculous. Right, to me. like nobody can kind of go off the grid like that. Right. To just be like, yeah, you know, depending on the werewolf version, one night a month, three nights a month, whatever. Yeah. I just kind of need to go out to Griffith Park. I'll be in the abandoned zoo. <laughs> I'll be over Ignore there. me. But here's the thing is that, you know, even like American Werewolf in London, even Buffy to an extent, those werewolf mythologies made sense to me because there were no cell phones. Because computers were like around in Buffy, but not yeah. really. And we weren't so reliant on technology and cameras and all of that stuff. Yeah, like in Buffy, there were special episodes that would focus on a computer. Exactly. I mean, the computer terror. And what, well, yeah. That's exactly it. So, like, for me, you know, um, I think once technology became a part of all of our lives so heavily, the werewolf thing, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to see a werewolf movie with modern technology. That would be fascinating to me to have one that's really all about, like, I really just need people to leave me alone for three days because then then it becomes an analogy about social media. Like, can you go offline for three days? Never mind the fact that you're going to turn into a monster and eat people. And that's actually a very interesting pitch. I would would buy that pitch. I would be interested in that. Now that I'm talking about it out loud, I'm remembering that I I actually wrote that. Did you really? Kind of. I wrote uh, for James Urbaniak's uh, podcast, Getting On With James Urbaniak, I wrote a Halloween episode for him last year where he turns into a werewolf. Really? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Look That's it up. It's cool. on Feral Audio, like this podcast. Oh, perfect. Uh, would you still enjoy the show if, out of the blue, the doctor from Doctor Who showed up? <laughs> well, that under... Okay. <laughs> I'm actually going to give you a really nerdy answer. Oh, please do. Are you ready? Oh, yes. Um, that means that time travel's involved, yes? Yes. Okay, that breaks the rules. <laughs> so that's like saying, to me, that's the equivalent of... In American Horror Story Asylum, when you have zombies and the devil and demonic possession and aliens. Yeah. You can't put aliens with demonic possession. Like, those <laughs> worlds, those universes do not work. Yeah. So for me, the the I have to say no because I don't think time travel... We haven't gotten to that H.G. Wells story yeah. yet. <laughs> but H.G. Wells is involved in Penny Dreadful? Well, H.G. Wells did The Invisible Man. Oh, we haven't seen The Invisible Man yet. Okay. Uh, well, of course we haven't. He's invisible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey But I'm sure some there will be some reference to H.G. Wells at some point. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Of course. Well, I'm, I'm happy to have that answer. <laughs> okay, good. I, I love lots of media, but I get kind of tired of mashups. Oh, yeah. Like, I want a thing to be its pure thing. And there have to be rules. That's right. that's the thing is that you know. I think a lot of geeks agree on that. Like they want things to make their own rules and then not violate stick them. Stick to them. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's one of the reasons why I don't really care for The Walking Dead, because for me, The Walking Dead never established rules. And and at, you know, as it went, it was like, and and I, I'm not even. You know, like, Walking Dead kind of just was like, well, then it's like if you watch the first season of The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. I mean. 
it's such a vastly different show. And that's fair, but when you're dealing with supernatural or you're dealing with, like, is it a virus? Is it a plague? Is it just supernatural? Is it, what is it? Like, yeah. you know, you have to establish certain rules about what the what it is so that the audience can... I think at least, you know, follow along with you, like yeah. play along and understand what's really And I like stake. it then when you get to see a protagonist or a hero figure out, I can't do X because rule, so I will do Y. Exactly. And it's surprising and impressive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So to me, you know, and granted, I haven't watched The Walking Dead for about a season or a season and a half, but if there were ever firm rules put in place, I might have missed them. Yeah. But that was such a hard thing for me, and because so, it all felt so nebulous. And so, like, so yeah, so for me, Petty Dreadful seems to have rules, even though those rules involve <laughs> demonic possession and Victor Frankenstein and yeah. all of the above. And the doctor just messes everything up. Because he could come in in one episode, fix most shows entirely. There you go. Like, he would just land in Walking Dead World and make the zombies go away with his sonic screwdriver. Which could be cool. In some bullshitty, wibbly-wobbly way. <laughs> I say that is a huge fan of Doctor Who. <laughs> it's a different beast. So, as an entertainment professional, I was going to ask you, this is kind of a side question. Mm -hmm. uh, you're you were already making an effort in the podcast to avoid spoilers. What is your sort of uh, take on spoiler etiquette as an entertainment professional? Well, I think, um, you know, I do think that saying spoiler alert is fair mm. and not saying it after the fact. And, you know, like, <laughs> spoiler alert should you know, come before. It should come before. Hopefully with a little bit of space. These are my rules. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I and also I think giving everyone the chance but a fair chance because mm -hmm. so when we're talking about television for instance television's really tricky because not everybody has cable right and so and i'm not talking about stealing things but sometimes we have to wait till tomorrow for hulu right. or we have to wait till tomorrow for whatever it is and so i think it's real excuse me but bullshit when when east coast feeds tweet yeah. or write things that are blatant spoilers because that's not fair. Yeah, like, give us the three hours. Like, you know, the West Coast, even if they wanted to, even if they wanted to watch it as soon as it was humanly possible, yeah. you know, unless you're dealing with, like, an HBO Go situation or you have, like, Crystal Ball DirecTV where they accidentally give you the East Coast feeds, like, that's not fair. Yeah. So, I think putting blatant spoilers in writing or photos that happened to me once where I didn't have cable. I was a season behind on Breaking Bad. And Vulture oh. ran a picture of Gus. I'm not even going to say what it is because yeah, if you, you haven't caught spoil up on now. Breaking yeah. Bad, like, I'm not going to say it. But they ran a specific photo of, of Gus. And I couldn't have access to that season yet. Yeah. It wasn't on Blu-ray. It wasn't or DVD. It wasn't on iTunes. And I couldn't afford cable at the time. So for me, like running a photo of that was like, that's real not fair. Yeah, especially for a big organization like yes. Vulture. Yeah. I think the East Coast and the Midwest getting the jump on the West Coast, I always feel like social media, it's just sort of vengeance for us tweeting things about the nice weather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> actual, <laughs> on purpose. Yeah, they They're are. getting us back. They want to run uh, our game of But yeah, those. but I feel like, uh, do you feel like after it's broadcast, like the next day is fair? Like, I mean, because sometimes you have to do that just in your job. Like, sometimes your job is yes. going to be, you're going to be a guest on a show that is talking about Penny Dreadful the next day. Yeah, sure. So do you feel like just kind of culturally like that's where we're at, where you're expected to digest it within like this sort of 12-hour period? Well, I think that 
with those types of things, if I were a guest on a show or if I were, you know, I used to um, host and produce the official podcast for the show Sleepy Hollow. Right. And so we would, um, those episodes would post at midnight, the night of the airing. And, and But the thing is, if you're not looking to listen to that, then it's not going to get spoiled right. for you. It's not like just throwing something up on social media. But when a certain character dies on a show like Game of Thrones <laughs> and your headline, you know, like, especially I saw it a lot with the Purple Wedding, and I'm not going to yeah. obviously talk about what that means, but with the Purple Wedding in specific, I saw headlines saying, this character died. And I remember being like, you know what, just because it's eight hours later, like, that's not cool. That's yeah. So, you know, I, I'm actually very protective of spoilers. I try to be, anyway. Yeah. Um, now, if it's ridiculous, like, it's if we were talking about M. Night Shyamalan, if we revealed the twist at the end of The Sixth Sense, and it's, you yeah. know, 16 years later, <laughs> and you're not up on that, okay, and that's a pop culture... Yes. You know, milestone. Then I feel less bad about that. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, you, but you try to be good. Yeah. I, oh yeah. Everybody, you know, hated on True Detective season two. Uh, understandably, I I enjoyed it as sort of high camp, but like the I think it was Variety. Their headline and photo was basically the end. Mm-hmm. Like what happens at the end mm-hmm. was the headline and the photo. And it almost just, and Variety doesn't normally do that. So it almost really felt like Variety, who should be a little bit impartial, just sort of saying like, eh, y'all hated it anyway. Exactly. So screw you. I, I actually, though, it's fascinating because I think you're onto something. I think that's probably why they did it, was they were like, nobody's invested in this. If they Nobody's going to get pissed if they did that for Game of Thrones. Or yeah. if they did it for season one of True Detective. Yeah. That would have been shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> Clark would have called shenanigans. Uh so this this is a strange left turn. If you could be saved from death by becoming a vampire, would you even consider that? Mm. Oh, would I consider it? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I just considered it. <laughs> so yes is easy. Would it be a hard decision? That let's. Yeah, because I mean, like, yeah, that's complicated. Being a vampire is not fun. No. And if anything has we've learned, you know, um, especially with like let the right one in, let me in, you know, watching what real vampire <laughs> vampires. Wow. Wow. Well, realistic portrayals of vampires could possibly be. Okay. Um yeah, that's not a fun way to live, I would assume. Yeah. Um, but I would consider it. Yes, I would definitely consider well, it. Well, let, let's limit it to the vampire lifestyle <laughs> on Penny Dreadful. Is it, oh. Is it a good vampire lifestyle well, on Penny Dreadful? to be fair, um, Dracula is presented as a demon, essentially. Well, okay. that's, that's the wrong word. But he's not cool or sexy or seductive in that Bela Lugosi okay. or other representations of Dracula kind of way. He's like this screeching, howling, like scary creature. Okay. And his brides are the same. So the seduction is all like mental. It would have to be like telepathically mental. Cool. So there's nothing about like the, well, I'd really like to hang out with no, Dracula. Yeah. No, no, no. It's all in, it's all in your head. It's like, oh, have you seen The Strain? Uh, I have only seen the billboards for The Strain and I, last year, not this year, so the year before when they had the really nasty. Oh, with the eyeball. With the, yes, the worm coming out of the uh-huh. eyeball. 
uh, I tweeted about it, and my tweet got included in a bunch of roundups that places like Variety ran of people complaining about how ah. graphic the billboards were because they're everywhere. They're on the side of buses. There's a huge buy in LA. Yeah. So they're everywhere. So it wasn't just like, oh, I don't like that one billboard. It was like, if I go outside today in the Hollywood neighborhood of Los Angeles, uh-huh. I am going to see a worm coming out of a giant eye eight times. So. Uh, and people got really, there was a weird sort of militant backlash to people complaining about the billboards. Yeah. Um, so that sort of turned me off on ah, on the strain. One person tweeted at me something like, why are you complaining about this? You should just, like, have a stronger stomach. There are more things to be concerned about in life. You know, well, like, not a good racism. And <laughs> they literally said, like, I can't remember what they said, like, racism, one other real issue, and true blood. And I don't know if that was a joke or if they honestly really hated well, True Blood. To be fair, racism is worse than those billboards. So <laughs> I do not let's disagree with that. Definitively state that. I do not disagree with that However, at all. On the record. Well, you know, it's interesting. Well, the reason I brought up the strain in the first place was just because those vampires, you know, Guillermo is very outspoken about the fact that these are parasitic creatures. They're just gross. They are not supposed to be sexy. Yeah. I'm done with sparkly vampires. This is not cool. These are beasts that are going to kill you. Yeah. And they're not hot. And um and and I appreciate that. Like I think that that's actually very cool. Yeah. Um but to the point about the um the eyeball thing. First of all, I've been wearing contacts since I was like 4 years old, 5 years old. Yes. Or, that's not true. That's an exaggeration. 5th grade essentially. Okay. So eyeballs doesn't, I was like, whatever. I touch my eyeball every day when I'm not wearing my glasses. Um, and I don't want worms to come out of them, but you know, whatever. My thing with that was, that I found was hilarious. By the way, what is the rating on this show? Or is there a curse? Oh yeah. You, you can swear all the fuck you want. Okay, great. So, um, what was hilarious to me was I love FX's marketing in general. That channel yeah. has incredible artwork that goes along with all their series. American Horror Story, the season before, <laughs> works cocks snake cocks coming out of these women's mouths nobody says anything yeah. and they're like no this is totally cool but you show one eyeball with a little teeny little worm coming out and everyone goes oh oh get these this is this is atrocious and it's like what, what, what are you talking about fair enough fair enough so, i did i did see some snake cocks <laughs> Like, it's like, really? This is what, like, honestly, I, I still look at that billboard. I see that imagery all the time when I'm writing about the strain or when whatever, when I'm, Google, you know, if I have to pull an image or something. And the eye just looks fake to me. Like, it doesn't even, yeah, I it looks like a cartoon. I, so I was like, yeah. I don't get it. I think it was successful because it looked clinical. It did not look, mm-hmm. like, if I'm remembering the American Horror Story one correctly, it looked like, here's scary, icky totally. stuff, and like, oh, okay. But this one just really did look like, it's kind of an ad for just like an eye doctor, but there's a worm, and I think that's why people yes. reacted. Yes. But I take your point that snake cocks are worse <laughs> than a small worm, just like racism is more important than true blood. Racism is worse than all of these things. <laughs> and racism but... is worse than all, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have a favorite line of dialogue from the show? Oh, yes. <laughs> it's so funny that you asked that, because yes. Um, season two, Lily Frankenstein. That's all I'll say, because there are spoilers attached to that as well. Um, season two, Lily Frankenstein has a monologue. Okay. And if it, it's got to be four pages of dialogue. And... Um, 
if if anyone listening to this knows, they will know exactly what I'm talking about if they have seen it. It is a speech, and granted, like John Logan is a theatrical gentleman in the first place. When yeah. you watch this show, it is highly theatrical, which I like, you know. But I could see how some people are like, "This is a little artsy fartsy." Um, <laughs> but this monologue, ooh, it's just such vicious, strong. Fuck you, woman power. And um, the actress who plays Lily Frankenstein kills it. Okay. Um, But yeah, so that that is an an outstanding piece of writing. And um, the delivery is beautiful and terrifying and wonderful. And so, yes, that speech is it. Cool. Awesome. I was going to ask you to uh, do do your interpretation, but it's a whole speech, and you don't want to do spoilers. So I, don't have I, I will let that dialogue be. Dialogue memorized. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. If someone did nothing but watched Penny Dreadful for like, just binge watched it right all two seasons yeah, that yeah. exist now, how would that affect their lives? Like, you get done binge watching two seasons straight without leaving the house. How does it? Well, you're definitely better off than when you started because you just watched a great show. Um, you know, it's a complicated show. Well, here's the thing. Um, there are some shows where at their heaviest, they get very heavy and you feel sick sometimes. Like, at least for me, when I watch, you know, certain episodes of Breaking Bad, when I watch certain episodes of Game of Thrones or or whatever show, it, I, True Detective, and I yeah. find it compelling, um... There, you know, as a viewer, when you're watching these gritty dramas or, or even sometimes genre, you know, I feel sick when I'm done, like because it's so hard sometimes. Right. Um, with Penny Dreadful, I don't feel like we get into that torturous territory, but we walk right up to that line. So, I, but there's so much. It's so fun. It moves. It's great storytelling. So I feel like when they finished watching all of Penny Dreadful as of now, they pro- that person would probably be like, man, that was awesome. Do you think uh, people would feel theatrical? Is it mm, that theatrical no. to the point where they would like to raise no. their voice? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> definitely not. De- definitely not. It's definitely a Showtime cable drama on television. Okay. Yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so normally I would be ashamed that we had started our podcast when it was still light out, and I forgot to turn a light out, <laughs> and my apartment has become incredibly dark. It's so appropriate. And, but I it's appropriate like a for this particular podcast. <laughs> So I'm going to pull up the flashlight function on my phone or, so I can see the rest of my questions. Yes, or if you want to turn the lights on. Nah, you, no, this seems more dramatic. I can wait. Okay, this is The great. flashlight on my iPhone this seems like way more creepy. This Abraham Lincoln would have done. Ooh, spooky <laughs> podcast. Oh, my no. God. Okay, so uh, we're ready to move on to the how obsessed are you questions. Okay. Do you think about Penny Dreadful every day? Almost. <laughs> Almost. You, you, like, missed a day recently? Yeah, maybe. Like, I'd say maybe every other day, every every two days. <laughs> every two days. Yeah. Okay. Uh, would you binge watch Penny Dreadful with Hitler? Well, no. <laughs> he, do, he doesn't get to enjoy that. Okay, good. I would keep it from him. I would withhold it from good. him. Normally, people sort of analyze how that might affect history. And you're just with oh. straight up, Hitler doesn't deserve doesn't, Penny Dreadful. That, you can quote me on that. <laughs> Hitler doesn't deserve Penny Dreadful. Clark Wolf, <laughs> 2015. Yes. Uh, would you read or write Penny Dreadful slash fiction? Yes. I would read it. I have never written slash fiction. 
And I trust the people, I trust John Logan specifically to know what he's doing. Okay. That, you know what? Two characters got together this season, or it was implied that they got together oh, this okay. season. And I felt like in season one, their relationship was more like sibling, brother and sister. Oh, okay. And so I was not satisfied with that. Right, you did not ship them. Nope, I didn't ship them. And they they made it work on the show okay. And they're not, like, together. You know, they're yeah. very separate at this point. But, but, yeah, I didn't really like that. So, anyway, the point is that with fan fiction, I would like to see there may be other character pairings. Who do you ship? Well, the characters that I actually probably would ship, they got together. They okay. did get together. <laughs> so John Logan's doing all my fan fiction for me, to be honest with you. All right, excellent. <laughs> would you get a Penny Dreadful tattoo? Yes, because... Um, it could easily pass for something else. Like, you wouldn't necessarily right. know. So if it sadly got canceled, like, very soon, it wouldn't be like you're stuck with, like, Penny Dreadful no, on yeah, Showtime. exactly. Like, the scorpion is a very important icon on the show. Okay. And it represents, um, it's a symbol for Vanessa Ives. Okay. And all the things that she is. And that's tied into her. And so, um, so I would consider getting a Penny Dreadful scorpion tattooed on me somewhere. And then it's just a scorpion that means something to me. Yeah. And the scorpion's a pretty great tattoo. Because totally. that's a pretty ambiguous tattoo of just, like, hey. If I got a little tipsy and just decided to get a tattoo, a scorpion's kind of in the line. Totally. It's, <laughs> it's a right good, up there it's with a mom. Good choice. Yeah, yeah just exactly. Classic tattoo. <laughs> uh, if you got a Facebook friend request from Dorian Gray, would you accept it? Yes. <laughs> I, he, you know what I have to say about Dorian Gray? That character annoyed me very much in the beginning. Okay. Now, oh, I am so on. He's hot. I'm so like, yep, Dorian Gray. Yep, I'm on board. Okay, so if you got, if you saw him on Tinder, you would swipe right? Oh, I would, does that mean I would say yes to him? Yeah, I assume that you would know that. I don't like Tinder. I don't like the idea of Tinder, okay. so I refuse to participate. Well, more power to you. Awesome. <laughs> would you break up with someone who didn't like Penny Dreadful? I would judge them. <laughs> I, would, I, would, like, I would legit. I dated a guy once who didn't really think Arrested Development was funny, oh, and I was like, "Well, yeah, sorry, that's not gonna yeah. last." Yeah, um, and it didn't, obviously. But um, but yeah, I would. I would definitely judge them if they were like, "I hate this," and like, "Why do you like this?" I'd be like, "Whoa." Yeah, you'd have to, like, dig down to the core of, like, why do they think that? Exactly. Yeah, and can you possibly make that work? Would you swear to none over Penny Dreadful? Would I what? Would you swear at a nun? I don't know what that means. Would you say a curse word at a nun? Oh, would I swear at a nun? Yeah. Over it. Like, what the, like... What yeah, so, like, if a nun got up in your business and said Penny Dreadful is a sinful, awful show, you shouldn't be watching it, would you be like... Screw you. Yeah, totally. Because it's not. It's not. Don't be a bully, nun. <laughs> See, you would turn it into a learning moment. I would. I'd be like, let's talk about the allegories. She's doing your work. She's a devout Catholic, nun. Yeah, excellent. That's what Good. I'm saying. Would you cosplay as a Penny Dreadful character at Comic-Con? Totally. Or have you? No, I haven't. I've never cosplayed before, believe it or not. Um, I've always wanted to, but I never have. And uh, But yes is the answer. Yes. Any... Any character. Any character. You'd be Dorian Gray? Oh, yeah. 
That'd be he, cool. he dresses fancy, right? Yeah. Like he's got cool suits. He's and... super fancy. Oh, God damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So awesome. If you could not watch Penny Dreadful without you or someone you love first being punched in the crotch, <gasps> would, you st- <laughs> would you still watch Penny Dreadful? Yes. And this is a question I ask everyone on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, but somebody else can deal with it for a so minute. So if you had the choice that it was you or somebody else, you would have someone else punched in the crotch so you could watch Penny Dreadful. Well... Okay, I would, I don't mind, I, I, I would be, I, you can punch, not you, but one, not going to. one could punch me, and I would still be like, okay, can I watch my Penny Dreadful now? It, actually, it's very method if you, if you watch the show, it's like kind of in line with like that Victorian horrible punishment. So sort of, yeah, so if I was going to start watching Penny Dreadful, you would recommend that I first get myself punched in the crotch to get into the proper mood <laughs> totally. and mindset. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm not going to binge watch, probably, in that case. That's fair. Maybe That's one fair. episode a week. <laughs> Excellent. Can you make a noise to sum up your obsession with Penny Dreadful? Uh, <laughs> as in, like... Was that a Frankenstein No, it's like, it's like this. Are you... Okay, sorry. I should have kept going. Oh, this is so good! <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> So is that the is that your you are enjoying media noise? Yeah, or it's like or or if it wasn't like the uh, it would be like the what? <laughs> because I have definitely said that out loud watching Penny Dreadful. In a good way. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I have to say, this is a good point to interject that I haven't mentioned her yet, but there's an actress this season, another uh, recent James Bond actress, Helen McCrory. Awesome. Um, She plays Madame Colley, who, um, this is not a spoiler, she is the big bad in season two. Cool. And this is, okay... I think award shows are stupid. I obviously the best people don't win, and that's totally fine. Um, well, it's not fine, but whatever. I don't care. Uh, when <laughs> Helen McCrory did not get nominated for an Emmy this year, it was like, so that's just wrong. Like, <laughs> and it's not even me like okay. being a fan. It's like you watch her performance and you just go. Yes, this is one of the five best performances. Right, like Orphan Black level wrong. Like whether you like the show or not. Yes, correct. Tatiana Maslany, come on. Yes, okay. Helen McCrory was, and and she. I mean, the the season two premiere of Penny Dreadful. I was just breathless. I mean, to me, and I don't want to oversell it, but I just feel like, God, it delivered. Like the premiere, you know, yeah. the season two premiere, and and she. As the big bad showed up, and oh yes, and, and you said you're and what? And I went son? what? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, is it before we do our final questions? Yeah. Is there anything that you want to plug, or where can people find you on oh, social media and all that? Yes, please. Um, I love social media mostly. Well, I don't like the bad stuff on it, but um, <laughs> but I like talking to people. So uh, yes, my um, Instagram and Twitter is at Clark Wolf, Clark with an E and Wolf with an E, and I have a YouTube. YouTube channel, um, which is youtube.com slash official Clark Wolf. And um, I love doing that. So, yes, those are the places. Awesome. Great. So here are our final questions. Okay. If you could telepathically command an army of animals, what animals would you want to command? Wolves. <laughs> is it just for your namesake? Yep, basically. Well, and they're cool. <laughs> yeah. Definitely wolves. I would like to arrive with wolves or ladybugs. 
<laughs> this is a really, really big difference. I know. Well, there isn't a lot of gothic horror no. about where ladybugs. No, definitely not. But like wolves, like I would like to have a pack of wolves come with me places because that's cool and tough. So it'd be, just be about like making an entrance? Yeah, that's really what it's all about, isn't it, Joseph? <laughs> You've been in L.A. for a while. You know that. I have, And yeah. then ladybugs, it's just like, pah, ladybugs. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> so it's a different kind of entrance. Yeah, exactly. So you, if you could command two, it would be wolves and ladybugs to make not, different kinds of entrances. I was just about to say, not at the same time. <laughs> that would be that would be weird. I it think would, people would really not know what to make with you. Confuse the message, yes. I would say. Yeah, yeah, you would not be on point with your branding, no, for sure. No, definitely not. If you could travel back in time and punch any historical or literary figure, who would you punch? Does everyone say Hitler? Uh, sometimes. These questions are different every podcast. Oh, oh, um, I mean, I'm not a fan of Hitler. <laughs> You're not pro-Hitler <laughs> at nope, all. Nope, I, so I'm, I'm not. He doesn't deserve to watch Penny Dreadful. No, And he certainly. deserves a big punch. That's, yeah, I'm not on board with that. If you got to the punching Hitler booth and the line was just too long. Okay, who else Who would else I would punch? you punch? Ooh, gosh, that's such a good question. That is such a good question. <laughs> Man, well, I'm sure there are, like, horrible people yeah. that deserve to be punched. Yeah. Oh, man. This is tough. Because I also don't attack people. You're not physically. a big puncher, yeah. No, Your wolves big, are just my for wolves, aesthetic value. My wolves speak for me. <laughs> they do all the mental punching that I need. Um, I, you know, how about this? Because of my age and because of, um, because of when I, when I grew up, I would punch George W. Bush in the face. I think that's fair. Yeah, because I, I just, you know, I, I know everybody's like softened on him as time has gone on, but I feel like he just said and did a lot of really nasty, bad um, mean, yeah. uh, persecute, persecutory, I don't even know yeah. the word, but uh, yeah. Persecuted, yeah. Yeah, yeah. persecuted. He started some wars. Started some wars. Caused some problems. It's caused problems for ladies, caused problems for LGBT, caused a lot of problems. Yeah. And got a lot of people, yeah, so, so I punch him in the face. Yeah, you should absolutely walk in the room with wolves and or ladybugs, <laughs> <laughs> punch a George punch W. Bush through a wall of while ladybugs. he is doing a crappy painting. There you go. Uh, in the final question, this is the same for everyone on the podcast, okay. what is happiness? What is happiness? Uh, you know, I think happiness is um, just being content. I, I, I mean that. Like, yeah. You know, like, I, I, I listened, I remember Stephen Colbert, this sounds so lame, but he get, did an interview with Oprah um, on her own network, and they were talking, he was talking about just moments of joy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, there's no such thing as con- constant happiness. That doesn't, that's not a thing. And um, I think that's why a lot of people are sad a lot. So, but the moments of joy, like, those are the moments that you really live for, that you remember. And I think that's a really good point. And I think that the thing that one would like to have in their life, you know, going all the way through it, like on a regular basis, is to just be able to be content. Right. I'm content with where I live. I'm content with my partner or my life or my people. And it doesn't mean everything's perfect. And it doesn't mean that things couldn't be better. I don't want things to be better. But right now in this moment, things are good. That is awesome. That's my answer. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. I'm just going to leave it playing while I turn the light on. Okay. This will be our fun little (laughs) B-side.